Hello again, everybody, and welcome to our Cane Sport podcast. This look inside the Miami Hurricanes, and uh, tonight we have a really, really, really interesting subject to talk about, and one that I'm sure everybody's going to enjoy. There's a football schedule, and it looks like the Hurricanes will be playing ball just a few weeks down the road in the 2020 season. I'm Gary Furman, the publisher of Canesport.com, joined as always by our managing editor, Matt Shodell. Matt, welcome, and you know, just a routine Wednesday afternoon today, and <laughs> at four o'clock, the ACC dropped a bomb on us. Uh, we were not expecting mm-hmm. it by any stretch of the imagination, and this chart showed up <laughs> in our, I guess, message folders that outlined an ACC football schedule for 2020, and it built from there. We find out Miami is planning on opening training camp on August 7th and that a football season um, will be starting the week of September the 7th, most likely on that weekend, like around the 12th or something. But the ACC is still fine-tuning the schedule for television and things like that. So there are some different options that could come into play. But COVID-19 or bust, they are planning on playing football, Matt. Yeah, I, I don't know what else they really could have done. It's sort of like, you know, you go until you can't go, right? I mean, that's sort of what I see here. There are some warning signs, in particular from Miami, that troubled me. And I, I asked, you know, Blake James about that when he talked to the media on Wednesday evening. Um, you know, I asked him about one one thing in particular that the ACC has. Um, you know, the ACC released a seven-page guidance, and um, – as part of that guidance, uh, one of the things they, they listed was that uh, something that can cause a, a games to be canceled is, quote, campus-wide or local community transmission rates that are considered unsafe by local public health officials. So we're still in phase one. There's no sign that we're leaving phase one. So I'm not sure what that means, you know, and, and then there's more troubling things in the medical guidance uh, along the lines of if it sounds like if a player gets COVID, not only does he have to quarantine for 11 days, but people who were potentially infected by him have to quarantine for 14 days. Um, you know, some of it's a, a, a little bit unclear what they wrote. For instance, they said that an athletic trainer can override anything if he thinks somebody's ready to play, which sounds a little crazy to me. So, like, I don't understand quite what the ACC is trying to do here. Maybe they're trying to sort of give some wiggle room if a kid tests negative twice, for instance. Um, you know, in a five-day period after being exposed, maybe they'll clear them to play instead of making them sit out for 14 days. But, you know, I mean, there's just so much unknown. It's, it's different in football than in baseball. Like you see in Major League Baseball, the issues they're having, and, and that's not a sport where you're face-to-face with anybody. The ACC went ahead. They said you don't need to wear face masks. It doesn't seem like it does much. In fact, it might even hurt kids by the fact their face masks will fog up. They can get hurt because they can't see. So no face masks um, are required on the helmets as of now. Um, so basically when you're on the field, it's just like last year. I mean, you're right up in the face of somebody right next to you. There's going to be 30, 40, 50, 60 kids interacting with each other throughout a game in each other's faces. And I just don't see with the numbers the way they are now how this can, can really not affect a lot of teams in terms of players at least not being able to play a certain number of games because of illness. Um, and while they may not be sick, I mean, you know, if they have COVID-19, they can't play. So if you're out for two weeks of practice, you can't play for another probably two weeks just to be safe and get back in condition and strength. You can't be in the weight room in that time. So you're talking about a month for a player to be out every single time he's, he's got a quarantine for 14 days. 
Um, if multiple players have that happen, it's a big problem. Well, you know, the thing that struck me immediately when that uh, transmission came from the ACC was that it took seven pages to describe the policy. And, you know, just the fact that there are so many items addressed there and that it is such a complex uh, policy that's outlined there, it just tells you what these next few months are going to be like. And I would, you know, advise everybody, you know, fasten your seatbelts. There's going to be a lot of highs and lows. There are going to be instances where players cannot play. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there are instances where games can't be played. And then uh, the ACC is going to have to figure out how they deal with that. Uh, you know, I, initially what I had heard, which I guess could still be the case, I haven't counted the weeks, but um, what I had heard was that they were going to build some open weeks in throughout the year, well, throughout the season, rather, in case some games had to be rescheduled. So I guess if you're playing 11, uh, that's what, I guess, um, just under three months, September, October, November, and they're talking about an ACC championship game December 12th to the 19th. So I have a feeling that they're going to put two or three uh, open weeks in there that will provide some flexibility in, in, in case they need to make up games, that would be a really smart thing uh, for, for them to do. But, uh, you know, a more pressing matter is what's going on in South Florida, Matt. And, you know, you mentioned we're still in phase one. We're not close to getting out of phase one. The problem, you know, you have 10,000 new cases in the state of Florida every day, a greater majority of them in Dade County. Uh, it, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. And it, it, there's no end in sight. You know, you keep thinking the curve's going to go down. Okay, the curve went down from 10,000 cases to 9,000 cases, and that and that's considered progress. Uh, so I don't think we're close to getting a handle on this COVID-19 situation. And now you're going to have a whole, you know, uh, Julio Frank said they expect 70% of the student body on campus. So if there's 15,000 students or whatever, I, I, I mean, you know, that's going to be 11,000 kids that are going to be coming in and, and, and a lot of them living on campus and in the, in the, in the dorms and apartments and, and you can have a lot of kids around each other and, and there's going to be some transmission of the coronavirus. I don't think there's any uh, yeah. question about it. And now you have all these football players who are going to be asked to, you know, avoid contact with people. Um, good luck on that for three months. Um, you know, with, with all the girls running around and things like that. And uh, so it, it's going to be, it, it, it's going to be interesting. And, and the fact that you um, add in the depth of the problem in South Florida only is going to make it more difficult for Miami. Uh, would, would you agree with that? I mean, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird situation because there's, there's people out there who think getting coronavirus is no big, getting COVID-19 is no big deal. Um, they think that, oh, if a player gets it, he should just keep playing. You know, what does it matter? But, you know, they say, oh, you know, younger people don't get affected by it. And, you know, the response to that, of course, is, you know, based on the science, these kids go home to their families or they're with other people who go home to their families and older people are susceptible and they really don't know who's going to have a bad reaction and who's going to basically be asymptomatic. And, you know, that's the scary thing about it. Is it worth risking um, family members or, or friends, family members' health to play football games. You know, at the end of the day, some fans will say, yeah, this is not a big deal. If, you know, a couple people die. Okay. You know, <laughs> I don't, I don't view it that way. You know, I, I think people need to stay safe. I think it's the right thing to do is to make 
the um, the health of the student athletes and their families, especially since the families are generally older, um, you know, paramount. Uh, the ACST and, and other conferences are moving ahead with these things because of the money at stake. Um, because, you know, fans, of course, who don't know uh, personally the family members or what might happen, you know, they want to see football, of course. I want to see football. I want to see college football. But there's no doubt in my mind that at some point this season, if they play a full schedule, even with these things in effect, there will be someone somewhere who dies because of COVID-19 related to playing college football, whether it's a football player who's with his girlfriend and the girlfriend goes home to her family without knowing she has it, she's symptomatic, her grandfather dies. There will be something like that. I have no doubt in my mind that will happen. Is it worth it? I don't think it's worth a single death in the, anywhere in the world to play college football. Some people would say, well, you know, maybe it won't happen. It's, it's worth the risk. You know, I, it's, it's, it's really interesting, the, the dichotomy in, in the country right now, where some people are like, you know what, you got to go on with life. You can't, you know, you can't just change your entire life because of a virus that is affecting, you know, maybe at the end of the day, a 1% death rate, maybe even less, you know, depending on who you ask, maybe more. So there's just still a lot unknown about the virus. And there's a lot of people who want to discount it. And then there's a lot of people who sort of say, look at the science and the top scientists who are saying, you know, this is a very dangerous disease and you don't want to mess with it. So the ACC has gone ahead and they're saying, look, as of now, we're going to try to play a season. And I think their idea is, you know, if people start wearing masks and really start social distancing and not going to parties and, you know, not doing these things that are dangerous, even going into people's houses and staying six feet away without masks on is dangerous, you know, with this virus. So they're hoping, I think, that people will start to be more responsible the numbers will come down. And, you know, like if you're in New York right now, and if every team was playing in New York right now and was from New York right now, it's probably safe to play. You know, they have, what, 500, 600 cases a day, right? But that's just not the reality of the situation in, in, in Miami. And, you know, I worry for these kids and their families. You know, I've been absolutely mesmerized by the debate going on around the country. And uh, it, it really comes into focus when you go on our message boards at canesport.com and watch – these guys go at each other over coronavirus and thread after thread day after day. I, I, I mean, I've been like stunned at what, uh, it's, it's just an absolute hot button for so many people. And, you know, you've got a group over here that says the whole thing is way overblown, you know, go on with your life. You, you know, you don't have to wear a mask, play sports, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then there's the group over here that says, no, this is not a joke. I mean, uh, thousands of people are dying every day. People are sick in the hospital on ventilators. By now, if, if you live in South Florida, you know several that have gotten coronavirus uh, and have been sick to various, varied degrees. You might even know somebody who died from it by now. And uh, it's obviously not something that's fake, and it's not just the flu. Uh, you know, every year the flu comes and goes, and we're not watching people dying left and right and on ventilators left and right. Um, you know, it, it's inarguable. It's not just the flu. I mean, this you know, maybe one day it will be just like the flu when there's herd immunity and people are vaccinated and not everybody's walking around with this thing. But the fact of the matter is that for every person that gets diagnosed with this and tests for this, and is found to be positive, there's probably 10 more running around out there with coronavirus that don't even know they have it at, at, at this point. So, um, you know, so you've got the people that, that are on one side who are carrying on with their lives, which is the reason why 
there's so much coronavirus all over the place, which is keeping the people over here locked in their homes <laughs> you know, for uh, what looks like it's going to end up being almost a, a full calendar year, and that's if a vaccine does come soon. And I mean, it's just absolutely insane. So uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, really- I just, I just don't. I, look, I, I mean, I, I don't understand why. You know, high school football, I get it. You can't move football to the spring. Um, you know, they have to cancel the season if push comes to shove. Because in the spring, there's other sports. You're not got enough kids to play all the sports. I get it for a lot of schools. But in in college, why on earth couldn't they have moved football to the spring when there's probably much less of a likelihood of, you know, any sort of flu outbreak interfering with hospitalizations for COVID, where you may, you know, hopefully have some sort of effective vaccine. That's what I don't understand. I don't understand why college football couldn't have figured out how to do a season that would start and coincide with in March. Like when you do spring football, make them, you know, do practices and then games. I, I, that's the one thing I just, I can't wrap my head around. I think that would have been probably the best scenario um, because once, I, look, I once you start losing, you can't say, okay, we're going to stop and move it to the spring. Now it's too late. You know, there's got to be one explanation and that's money and that's television. And well, the, well, the and, and kids might not have played with the NFL coming up. I get it, but it, it would have been a lot safer. Yeah, but that's the least of the concerns. You know, whether Greg Rousseau plays football this fall, I don't think has absolutely anything to do with anything when you're making this, this type of decision. I, I think that, you know, that the TV networks are, you know, they put up a lot of money. And I think that if the colleges wanted to collect on that money, they needed to fulfill the contracts and give the TV networks a, a product. And, and once you get after, past the first of the year, they have a lot of other programming that they're already committed to. You know, uh, you know the NBA, the you know, NHL, you know, all the different – the leagues, the NHL. Um, they, you know, you've got tennis and golf and all the other things that they show on ESPN at that time of year and that they're also contracted to do. So their, their contract windows for college football – are in the fall, and I think that there was pressure that, that that if they were going to collect on those contracts, which they needed to do, or else you would have had athletic departments all over the country going bankrupt or having to um, get you know hundred million dollar bailouts from the endowments of the universities. I, I think there was probably pressure uh, to to play in the fall. That that's that's the only explanation I personally can come up with. Uh, I'm I'm open to ideas. <laughs> if if any if you no, know. I mean that makes look that that makes that makes sense. It's just not something you like to hear because you know the NCAA is all about you know we put the student first and the athlete second, right? That's their whole thing. <laughs> it's it's yeah, about a well, college degree. It's if that's the if that's the case, the NCAA should be you know <laughs> it'll be well, ridiculous the bottom, for them to, the It's just hypocritical. You know, they just ate a billion dollars canceling March Madness, and and now they're going to well, cancel. Well, that's because they didn't have their, That's because they screwed up their insurance policy. I mean, they're inept. It, it, it's craziness. <laughs> yeah, but 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 the bottom line is that these universities are on the hook for a lot of money, and and they you know they they need to collect at least a percentage of it. Like if if they have to refund season tickets for everybody, which is a great chance. I mean, we talked to Blake James today and he seemed to be holding out hope that they would be able to have at least some fans in the stands. I mean, at least if they can say to their golden canes, you can come to the game. Uh, that'll, that'll, that'll save a lot of money and, and things like that. And, you know, that's how they're going to have to right. think they're going to have to get creative. Uh, I don't see any scenario that you're going to have 40, 50,000 fans in a stadium. There's, there's, I just don't see any way, but you know, can they, can they get 10,000 golden canes and 5,000 students in probably, and, you know, yeah. uh, I think that right now that they 
they would be thrilled to death if they could if they could do that. So uh, it'll be interesting to see here in the coming weeks uh, what they do. But the bottom line is they're planning on playing football, Matt. And um, I think that this would be a great moment for us to just uh, really quickly take a look at the teams that the ACC put on the schedule and and try to come up with some type of vision for what this hurricane football season is going to look like. So um, let's uh, let's take a shot at that and might as well just begin with the granddaddy of them all. And um, they, the ACC put Clemson on the schedule. And it, it makes a lot of sense because they need to give Clemson as much competition as they can. And th- there might not be a team in the ACC this year that can give Clemson competition like what you would like to see but there are a handful that it would at least have a chance and I think that you could say that even though Miami's coming off a six and seven season that there is a fair amount of talent on this roster to where they can potentially go play uh, a respectable game against Clemson that ABC or ESPN can put on national television and I'm guessing they may try to do it early in the season because you know be- you know before Miami's record can go in one direction or the other because nobody really, really, really knows what's what's going to happen. I mean, you're coming off a three-game losing streak, uh, FIU, Duke, Louisiana Tech. So uh, I don't think anybody out there outside of the Canes Nation, which is hoping for big things, is uh, counting on anything or you know that as an absolute. So I, I think they'll put Clemson on probably early, and uh, at least they should if they're if, if they're being smart. And it's going to be, I think it's going to be good to see where this program is, Matt, because, I mean, there's been so much excitement, so much hype through the offseason with the coaching changes, the Eric King coming in at quarterback, the Rhett Lashley system being installed. I, I think it's going to be nice for us to be able to see just what difference it makes against a legitimately good team. I mean, look, if I'm Blake James and Manny Diaz, I am on the phone with the ACC the second this came out saying, do not put Clemson early in our schedule. It will not be (laughs) – nobody's going to want to watch that because, like you mentioned, Miami's got the Eric King and Rhett Lashley, and that's the problem, right? If you play Clemson in the first game, which if they're early in the season, I think it's going to be the first game, and, you know, to get the the hype and everything going and, and, you know, try to get a game in before potentially COVID outbreaks take over, right, because it's a big game. But – Rhett Lashley's had four practices with the team. De'Ara King hasn't even barely got to know one of his receivers. Clemson has back its top running back, its top receipt, its top quarterback. Um, you know, it's got back offensive line. Like it's the same system. It's not fair to put a brand new offensive system, a brand new quarterback who hasn't had time to work with his receivers against a, a team that's already been working together and, and knows each other so well. I mean, yeah, they come from lost a lot of people to the NFL like you do every year, but still, I mean, there's all these guys are back. It's just guys waiting in the wings that are now going to be playing. They all know the system. So I think that's completely unfair if they do that. Um, you know, and, and look, <clears throat> it's not like the road's going to be easy no matter who Miami plays. I mean, Gary, I don't know if you look at this, do you know how many of their, of Miami's opponents finished with a winning record last year above 500? How many of the 10 ACD opponents do you think had that? I would guess seven of them. Take a guess. Seven. And one, and one of those seven. Okay. I'm sorry. And, and another one was six and seven. That was FSU. And FSU is right. not going to be an easy game. So in my mind, eight of the ten teams they're playing are winning programs. And guess what? Miami wasn't a winning program last year, right? So there's really no easy games. But why start with Clemson? I mean, start with some other team. Get yourself sort of 
well, learning things, figuring out what you are, and then you can really see where you are against the best team in the country or one of the best here, teams. Here's in the why I think it could happen. And, 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 and there might be one alternative for the ACC that could supersede Miami, which I, which I think I agree with you. I think the, the um, reservations that you have are very warranted. Um, but when I look, I, I look at two things. I look at Clemson's, the, the list of teams, the Clemson's, and I look at September 7th on the calendar, Monday night. Okay, and I don't think the NFL starts until the week the next Monday. I'd have to double check that, um, but I think the NFL regular season starts on the 14th, and I'm going to double check that right now while I'm talking. But I, usually, it's Monday night football, the first weekend uh, of the college football season, and that is Labor Day. That's where Labor Day falls on the calendar this year. So I'm almost 100% positive now that I'm looking at all the different elements that the ACC is going to have the television slot on Monday night, September 7th, to kick off the college football season. And they're going to – Clemson almost 100% figures to be one of the teams. Now, so if you look at Clemson's schedule, there's two teams on there that for a marquee moment like that, that would fit the bill as an opponent. One of them would be Miami. The other one would be Notre Dame. And Notre Dame is on Clemson's schedule. So I could see them going Clemson-Notre Dame on opening night. That would be a great opener uh, and, and would, pro- would make more sense than Clemson-Miami and would allow Miami to fall back later in, in the schedule, which is to Miami's benefit. Um, but I'm looking at that date, and I'm going to be very interested to see w- what the ACC schedules in there because I, I think that they're going to have that slot uh, for Monday night football. Um, but anyway, so Clemson, obviously, you know, everybody knows about Trevor Lawrence. Everybody knows about their, their run of making the national title game. It, the, Clemson is as good as any program in the country right now. And, um, you know, Trevor Lawrence is probably going to be the first pick in the NFL draft next year. And then they just stack talent on top of talent after that. Um, so obviously they will be one of the better teams in college football. And I think everyone would agree that Miami's going to have a tough time winning that game. I think, Matt, that if the Canes can just be competitive, just be competitive and not get blown out, that that would be a total win for this program at this point. Yeah. I mean, if you can if you can stay within – well, I mean, then again, North Carolina lost by one point to Clemson last year. I mean, Clemson has – games where they just either don't show up or don't play well. I mean, I wouldn't think that that playing Miami, they overlook them obviously by any means, but, um, but yeah, if Miami looks good and plays close with Clemson, yeah, that's huge. You know, if Clemson just plays a horrible game and is, you know, fumbling all over the field and Miami still loses, you know, that wouldn't look great, but, but, you know, Clemson obviously is a, is a seasoned team that, that wins championships. So yeah, you can, you can, um, any, anything I'd say less than a seven point, loss would be a, a win in my, in my book for Miami, for sure. Because, look, Miami's not competing for titles this year, but they should be in a couple of years if things go right. Um, and that would be a good step in the right direction, for sure. It gives them confidence. They know what, you know, they sort of feel like they can compete with that kind of team. That's huge. Got to keep recruiting the way they're recruiting right now. And at some point, you got to be able to go outside of South Florida and 
land an elite prospect or two. And, you know, right now they're not positioned for that. Uh, they're all in on South Florida and it's working out for this year, but at some point every year in South Florida is not going to be like this, this class, this particular class in South Florida is absolutely over the top. And um, Miami's benefiting from that and, and making it count. Um, they're going to have to stack recruiting classes uh, to, to do what everybody wants to see them do. So that'll be interesting to watch as the months you know, go forward. Um, the next game, Matt, that I have circled already on my uh, schedule, the little chart the ACC sent out today, is North Carolina. And here's why. Mac Brown has absolutely revitalize that program they are recruiting at a extremely high level uh, among the top 10 teams in the country uh they're dominating the 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 coastal carolina area getting all the top prospects in that area of the country and nobody really thinks about that it's not south florida but there's a lot of good players in the carolinas and you know, everyone's used to them all going to Clemson. Well, you know, North Carolina now is, is competing for a lot of them and beating out Clemson for some of them. And um, Mac Brown's done a great job there. And as we know, uh, they've got a young quarterback, Sam Howell, who had a very good freshman year last year. And they caught the Canes in, in Chapel Hill, uh, a game that looked like Miami had won, came down the fourth and 17. They converted it, went on to score the touchdown. And, uh, Everybody knows the rest. So uh, I think that North Carolina game, which will be a home game for Miami, uh, is, is another one of the, the, the ones to really, really you know, put, put a microscope on uh, for this season. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about it. I think that, the, you know, other than Clemson and North Carolina, and, you know, a lot of people have picked North Carolina to win the Coastal over Miami. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, those obviously are the two toughest games um, but what's interesting to me is after those two games, you know, there's just a bunch of teams that really could be good or, you know, might not be good. Like, you know, North Carolina is going to be good. You know, Clemson's going to be good. <laughs> and then everyone else in the schedule as we're going to go through it, I assume. But, you know, you could point to each of them and say, okay, there's some strengths, there's some weaknesses. Um, you know, but They're yeah, North like Carolina Miami. has a top quarterback back. Well, that's the thing, right? So that's the thing. So yeah, North Carolina is, is going to, you know, pose a lot of problems. It is good. Obviously that Miami has them at home. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, that, that's really what interests me in the whole season is, is you know, I, I, any of these games other than Clemson could go Miami's way or not. I think a lot of the, you know, point spreads only mean so much, but I think a lot of these point spreads are going to be very close, probably mostly skewing in Miami's favor if Miami, you know, can play pretty well, but, but not by many points. There won't be a lot of, you know, double-digit point spreads, I don't think. Um, no. in either direction other than Miami versus Clemson. So, you know, these games, it's, they're going to be 50-50s. You know, which ball bounces which way, who makes a kick, who doesn't, who blocks a punt. These are not going to be blowout games. These are going to be, you know, games that really come down to fundamentals, win by a, one, two, three points, maybe whoever scores last wins. And that's, that's going to be a lot of these games, including possibly North Carolina. You know, I think Miami's right there with North Carolina in terms of how the teams look on paper. Um, yeah. There won't be a talent you know, disparity. But, but North Carolina, yeah, yeah. But North Carolina is a, a little step ahead of the rest of the pack. You know, the Florida States and the Louisville's, you know, and the Virginias and et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I just want to put that number two on the list in terms of, of toughness. But after that, I mean, it almost could be a toss-up. You can make an opinion other than other than NC State and Georgia Tech, which should both be easy wins. Although obviously Miami proved against Georgia Tech last year, that can't always be the case. 
But other than those two teams, any of these teams can beat Miami, and Miami can beat any of those teams. So just depends who well, shows up. Well, the next up. one I have circled is uh, one that you circle every year, and that's Florida State. And um, yeah, it might be an empty Hard Rock Stadium, but they got to come to Hard Rock Stadium this year. And it's been kind of interesting watching what's going on up in Tallahassee as Mike Norville's taken over as as the head coach. He's a really good coach. Don't, don't I'll tell everybody out there right now. Don't ever in any of these years coming up, underestimate Mike Norville's ability to put a game plan together and, and, and coach a, a great game because uh, that guy is a very good football coach. And that's why he landed the job at Florida state, but they've, uh, they've kind of been struggling here in this COVID-19 situation to get going. Recruiting hasn't been going particularly well. They're isolated there in Tallahassee. Uh, You know, they don't have the advantage Miami has with all these kids in South Florida. And it's just not going the way, you know, they would draw it up there at, at Florida state. That said, you know that they have talent on that roster right now. And, and um, you know, I think they're, they're going through a, a, a huge coaching upgrade with Norville coming in. Uh, they do still have some elite guys like Marvin Wilson and Asante Samuel. And, uh, you know, they've got some skill guys and, 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 you know, that we don't even know about yet and things like that. So, um, you know, it'll be just like Miami where there, there's, there'll be guys that'll emerge and they'll have some quality players. And uh, the Miami Florida state game always seems to, you know, be, be tough. And uh, so I, I think that you have to respect the Florida state game. Yeah, every year it could go either way, right? I mean, their their recruiting has been fine. You know, it's not like Florida State's getting nobody's on that roster. It's just a matter of the coaches coaching them up and really getting the, the players to believe in what they're doing. Uh, the defense was just awful last year, but um, you know, you got to think they'll be a little bit better. They got you know Marvin Wilson back. They got a you know a couple of good DBs and uh, you know probably a couple of best DBs in the in the conference, honestly. So yeah, I mean. There, there's, there's nowhere really for, but up for that program to go. So that should not be a six and seven team, just like Miami should not be a six and seven team. So they're going to be better. You know, the next game I look at uh, is a team that is is very, very hard to get your your hands around, and uh, that's Louisville. And Miami has to go to Louisville, uh, the game that was added on on the schedule. Uh, typically a good venue. I don't know that there'll be fans in the stands, but it's, 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 it's always been a good venue uh, ever since they, they built that program up and made their renovations to uh, Papa John stadium and stuff. Uh, Louisville's a little goofy in that they're extremely well coached. Scott Satterfield is a very good offensive football coach, a guy that I have a lot of respect for. Uh, I don't think that Bobby Petrino left the talent there at the level that they would really like, but they've got, some pretty darn good offensive players coming back and they're going to score points with, with Scatterfield system and the players that they have coming back on offense. Uh, they're going to score points. There's, there's no doubt about it. So um, this one has, has the potential to be uh, a, a scoreboard lighting uh, fiesta. Uh, very similar last year when Miami put up a bunch of points on them and Jaron Williams had the, had the great game. Uh, I'm expecting something really really similar. I don't know if Miami, if the Eric King will have six touchdown passes like Jaron Williams did. But um, Louisville is not very good on defense. So uh, that one will be a scoring derby. And it'll be interesting to see how they come out of that one um, and whether Louisville has been able to improve themselves on the de- defensive side of the ball. Um, other opponents, Matt, you got 
you know, Virginia, they're kind of going to be in a, in a rebuilding mode. Um, no more Bryce Perkins who kind of carried them through the last few years. So um, it'll be interesting to see what, what they're able to put together uh, for this season. Uh, Virginia Tech, no more Bud Foster. Uh, so, so, you know, a lot of question marks there. They, they do have their quarterback back, a few receivers. Uh, but I got to think it'll be a transition year for them, you know, breaking in a new coordinator on the defensive side. And so we don't really know that they caught Miami last year. Um, we, we, it's very, very hard to predict what's going to happen, what we're going to see there. I would say the same thing goes for Wake Forest. Uh, you know, they had, they're deceptively good on defense. Uh, I, I yeah. think that that'll be the strength of their team. Uh, their defensive line uh, has a guy named Carlos Basham Jr. who was second in the ACC in sacks and tackles for losses last year. Um, they've got a couple other playmakers on the front four. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if they can hang with the Canes. I don't know how much firepower they're going to have on offense. They lost their quarterback. Um so we'll see there. Pittsburgh, I think, is a game to worry about. Uh, Pat Narduzzi always seems to have a representative team and, and, and give Miami a tough time. They really should have beaten the Hurricanes last year in Pittsburgh. Uh, so their quarterback is back. Uh, Kenny Pickett wasn't great last year. I think he had like 13 touchdown passes and nine interceptions. Uh, but you know Pat Narduzzi's defense will be solid, and he'll come up with a scheme to, to try to give the Eric King a tough time. And uh, so that, that's a game I think I would watch it a little bit. NC State, I don't expect to be able to mount uh, much of a challenge. They're in rebuilding mode. I would say the same thing about Georgia Tech, except Georgia Tech stunned Miami at home last year. Um, and Jeff Collins is a, is, a, is a good coach. So, you know, we don't really know, you know what can happen there. So when you put it all together, Matt, I mean, when, when, when we looked at the old schedule, I was thinking that if Miami could win nine games, that that would be the line, to, to, that you know, anything less than nine, would, you couldn't really call a forward progress or a successful season uh, that they, you know, and I, and I thought nine was very realistic with the old schedule. I think nine is realistic with this schedule. Um, I mean, you're going to play 11 games. We don't know who the 11th is going to be yet, whether it'll be Temple. Um, you know, it could, it could end up being Temple since Miami has a home and home with Temple. That one kind of makes sense because they can honor, uh, honor the home game and then go to Temple next year. Uh, so I think it'll probably end up being Temple, but we don't know for sure at this point. Um, I feel pretty confident it will not be Wagner. <laughs> um, so, you know, we'll see how, how that plays out. But, but Matt, I think eight, nine wins is, is absolute reality uh, for, for this team this year when you look at the schedule. I mean, look, if, if <laughs> gun to my head, if I had to guess a final record, I would go with seven and four, and I'd consider eight and three probably, you know, a pretty good year. Um, anything above that I think is an outstanding year. I think anything below seven and four, like six wins, I think Manny is given another year. I think anything less than that, he's going to have a lot of people putting pressure on him, you know, because um, well, fans not, do not they, like they, losing they, in Miami. I, I wouldn't even think about it because they're, there's no, they're not buying anybody out. There's no chance. Their revenue is going to be Yeah, but the, the pressure, well, correct. But, uh, but, um, what I'm saying is the pressure on Manny pressure won't be good. 
Yeah, the pressure will be paying the bills. Well, it's not going to be. From out, I'm talking. About, from, I'm talking about the pressure. I'm talking about the outside noise and the recruiting class. Because you got to keep the recruiting class together. And let's face it, they they need to win seven or more games. They really do, because mm-hmm. these recruits want to see some forward progress. Um, now, with that said, you know it, it's a new ACC format, which is really interesting because you know Clemson probably either goes undefeated or loses one game, they're going to be in the title game. And then who's going to be second and what will their record be? I think, I think eight and two in the ACC will probably put you in maybe a, a two-way tie, something like that. Um, I, I don't see anyone else, you know, going undefeated. <laughs> I, I don't really think there's another team in the conference that's only going to lose one game in the conference. There's a lot of parity after Clemson. So I, I think if Miami can find a way to only lose two conference games, including Clemson, so Clemson and one other, I think they got a good shot at, at, at getting a rematch with Clemson, you know, just looking at it right now. Um, outside chance, if you lose three, there could be a, a multi-team tie that you can emerge from. But, you know, if you're Miami, you want to look for eight and two or better in the conference. It's just going to be tough to do. A lot's going to depend on Notre Dame. We don't, we don't know what kind of team Notre Dame's going to have, but they got to play Clemson during the season too. So, uh, right. You know, there'll be a there'll be a wild card in this whole thing. But, you know, that'll be interesting. And, you know, you make a good point in talking about the recruiting class being a factor. I think they got to win more than seven games that will keep this class together. I think if they go seven and four and are losing the teams like Georgia Tech or, you know, Virginia, or Virginia Tech or, or losing to Florida State and things like that, uh, I, I think there's a there's a chance they could still hold the class together in a, in a situation like that. But uh, it's going to become a lot tougher. So, look, bottom line is there's a lot to be excited about just in the fact that we have football to talk about again, that we have a season that looks like it's going to get played. Um, We have a training camp that looks like it's going to open in a couple weeks. So uh, I know, Matt, I was really excited when that email came today around 4 (laughs) o'clock, and I saw a schedule. And I saw the fact that they were planning on playing football starting September 7th. Um, I got to imagine that that the way these past several months have gone and, you know, what everybody's been dealing with, that you have to be pretty excited as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, I hope if if everything worked out, it would be amazing. I really hope that it all worked out. We have a season. Fans can even hopefully go to some of these games in a safe atmosphere. I mean, that would be amazing. You know, there's just – there's some worry and there's some excitement and you're not quite sure what to feel. If you're a, a football fan in general, like do you feel trepidation or are you just happy there's a season? I don't know. It, it's weird. It's really weird, you know? So I'm um, hoping for the best and uh, you know, it, it will be very exciting to see what Miami does because it's very much an unknown. There's, there's a whole new offense that we haven't really seen in the spring. It's, it's really more of an unknown than I've ever seen since I've been covering the team in forever. Um, just because there was really no spring practice to get a gauge on how good or bad this team is, you know, and we may not be able to watch many of the practices this fall because of the outbreak and not let reporters around the team. Right. So other than people we hear tidbits from, which, you know, may or may not be accurate. I mean, you know, you, you're really not going to know until game one, quite how good this team is. All right. Well, we got what about 10 days to, to rest up and get ready or kind of rest up and get ready. And, uh, <laughs> look, I'm looking forward to it, and I'm sure everybody out there is. Football is upon us, folks. It looks that way, barring some crazy uh, occurrence with this virus, uh, which seems to have a surprise around every corner. So for Matt Shodell, I'm Gary Furman. We hope you've enjoyed this new edition of our 
podcast and hopefully we will be talking to you again very soon and quite often over the next few months as the hurricanes embark on their 2020 season. We'll see you next time, everybody.